Welcome to the dark side of dentistry, the shit no one talks about. I'm Jessica Metcalf, your host. I'm a life and business coach and a dentist to oncology patients. I teach how to break through self-doubt, fear of failure, and overworking so dentistry and your life doesn't have to suck. This is part two of three of the Women in Dentistry series, where I have brought four incredible women in to talk about their journey through dentistry. We have Dr. Keely Matheson, Dr. Sonia Chopra, Dr. Amanda Trotti, and Dr. Shivani Barto. Welcome back to part two with the lovely women in dentistry. I have back Shivani, Keely, Amanda, and Sonia with me. And so today we're going to be starting to talk about a little bit more of the work life within dentistry and within our profession. So last time we ended it on, well, why dentistry? And this time I'm going to start with the question, is dentistry what you thought it was going to be? I, I guess I'll start. Um, the answer is absolutely not. <laughs> Definitely not. I had told you why dentistry in our in our last meeting, and um, I told you I'd seen like you know a little house literally with a shingle outside, and I know that's how it was done in the past, right? So I was like, oh, this is great. You know, I'm gonna have my little house. I'm gonna put my little chair in my carport in my garage. I'm gonna hang out with my kids when they get home from school and I'm gonna, you know, just do my thing. And, and it was gonna be very, very simple. You know, I just, I loved the idea of working with my hands and of, you know, meeting new people. And that part of the job I love. And um, I, I guess um, that part has exceeded my expectations. Um, I get a lot of satisfaction, um, basically making people feel better. The part that I um, have never been comfortable with is the business side of it. And it's to the point where I would not want my children going into dentistry. I don't want my children going into dentistry. Um, my eldest uh, wants to go into medicine. Um, I, I'm like, don't do dentistry. And she's like, no, it's okay. I don't wanna do dentistry. I'm like, good. <laughs> you know, As much as I, I love my job and I teach and I love teaching people how to fix teeth, but I'd be lying if um, I look at some of my students and I'm kind of like, I, I feel bad. Uh, I'm like, You've, it's really, really hard right now, starting out, getting your foot in the door, um, finding your way. The first five years are the hardest, you know, in terms of speed and finding what procedures you want to do. And it's so difficult now, especially with COVID, it, the profession is completely completely changed so um it's different do i have any regrets no i do not have any regrets um but yeah it's not what i had imagined you know it's it sounds negative i don't mean it to be but we're being honest here yeah so, no all honesty all honesty all across the board and you just touched on so many different components where like even i know people were like oh yeah it's you put a shingle up and you'll have mm -hmm. your door flooded through, right? And oh like, yeah, it's just enough to be a nice person and deliver yeah. good care. And now I, I remember one practice that I associated and I was there for quite some time and we had a nice, we had a nice team, okay? We had a really nice team and we had, you know, water for patients and then we started having snacks for patients. And then someone actually complained because we put up TVs too, because now you need a TV for everything. 
and we put up a TV and somebody wrote a review. I think it was on like Demand Force or something. Yeah, you know, the the person who cleaned my teeth was great, but why'd you have to hang the TV up in that that manner and you can't see anything? Like, and I was like, are you serious? You have one of the best hygienists that I've ever met, like cleaning your teeth and you're complaining about the angle of the TV? Like, come on, you know, it's a change in, in, you know, patient perception as well. Like dental healthcare consumers versus, you know, that actual doctor patient relationship. And don't get me wrong, um, I try to communicate Informed consent obviously goes without saying, but it is a discussion. There's so many different factors determining what the best treatment is. And of course, you, you, you've got to listen to your patients. But, you know, Dr. Google and people questioning your judgment as opposed to asking questions, um, the whole landscape has, has changed. Now, the fact that you can be rated on TV, like on uh, internet, not on TV. Well, yeah, even on TV, they'll, they'll, put spotlights on 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 dentists the cases that go wrong and all of a sudden it's like it's all over the place and, and it's like they don't have any of the context of what actually happened and you know the fact that somebody can rate you just like the restaurant down the block it's it's like you know what are we doing you know are we healthcare workers or are are we caregivers or, or i don't know am i like just like the, the restaurant down the street like so those are the things everything you know, and I, I went on way too long I'm really sorry and I want to hear everybody else's uh everybody else's thoughts and I'm seeing this just within the past it's gotten worse in my opinion in the past like five or six years I wanted to <clears throat> I, I totally hear what you're saying and I think my perspective on it from what I've seen as my dad being a dentist and my sister being a dentist is like the perfect explanation or the, like the exact scenario you're describing where my dad put up a shingle, he did good work, he was able to build a really successful business and um, he jokes around, you know, Sonia and I talked about we're from this small town, Vestal, New York. It's like they didn't even, they didn't have Google, they didn't know that they were in a recession. My parents, when they started this practice, it's startup practice, they just like, oh, this place looks nice. Let's just move here, set up. They didn't do like market research or anything like that versus when my sister started her startup practice, she, you know, went to conferences of how to build a practice, how to create a team culture. She had coaches, she did market research. She like did all of this background research. And um, my dad's actually down in North Carolina visiting my sister right now. And he's saying like, it's just a complete, like watching how she operates her practice is a completely different ball game. She is 90% in a business owner and an entrepreneur and 10% of it is dentistry where it's completely different before. Um, and I think Jessica, to go back to your original question of how uh, is dentistry what you expected it to be? My expectation was totally that same, you know, very traditional. I'm going to be a single practice owner, um, like a silo profession. I'm not going to really communicate with too many other dentists. It's um, going to be an easy, set my own schedule, pretty straightforward type of career. And I'm actually pleasantly surprised by how many different avenues there are to go down with dentistry. I think on one hand, it's it can be very frustrating that it's different from your expectation, but in another sense, it's very liberating to see, like I'm not boxed into that one mode or that one style anymore, that I can go into academia, I can go into um, non-clinical dental sides of the profession and it's really cool to see how social media plays a role in that in this all but to see that some people are creating a career that's 
not involved with patient care, but through education, through social media, through coaching of other dentists. Um, and, you know, the sky's the limit. And I feel like each week there's like a new sub field within dentistry that I'm seeing other dentists do. And it's, I think it's so, that's so exciting. Um, and that makes me feel like there's hope <laughs> that we're all in this career, knowing that we're going to have like multiple careers throughout it all with the, the doctor before our name, but also to be able to wear all these different hats. So it's not a, at all what I expected. And I kind of love that. I, I love that there's so much opportunity. Um, this is Sonia, by the way, in case people are wondering <laughs> in the change of voice. Um, so I'm like, I feel like right down the middle. I, I agree. I don't know if I want my children to go into dentistry, um, cause it is so stressful and I don't know, I find other things like a little more fun sometimes. Um, but I also agree with Shivani in that it's kind of neat to see how things are shifting and changing and you, you gotta have a lot of energy to kind of hang at this point and um you know that's exhausting and exciting all at the same time so i'm gonna throw a little different spin because i agree it i never would have expected myself to be where i am right now um i think my first eye opener was being a specialist and what it takes to be a specialist and i think that's a little different thing that i can throw in here like there's so much work you have to do as a specialist after 5 p.m. Like the nine to five is one thing doing the clinical, but then you have to go out and wine and dine and you really, you have to work the streets. It's a lot of hustle trying to get people to break their, you know, referral habits and because now you're coming in. And that was the hardest part. There was a lot of rejection involved for me, like going to people's practices and they're just not interested in me. And at the time I looked like super tiny, super little, like who was gonna take me seriously? Um, I noticed like there was this old boys club and I just didn't fit in. And sometimes like going out to lunch with a male referring dentist was like the worst like blind date like ever. It was so awkward. And I was like, oh, somebody just text me and tell me I have an emergency. Like just get me out of the situation. <laughs> and. You know, so that was just awkward, but there was so much whining and dining. And then also wondering, are your friendships like true friendships or, or like people thought I had like an ulterior motive type thing, you know, like, but I truly wanted to be their friends. So there, it was really hard for me from a relationship standpoint um, as well. So that was that. And then I, I hit a period of what I call burnout for my life. And I just, I couldn't take it. Like I couldn't take clinical dentistry five days a week, a lot of hustle. And as an endodontist, like I basically was at the mercy of whenever somebody wanted to send me a patient and I had to see them right then and there. And I hated that. Like I didn't really have control over my schedule, even though that's one of the main reasons why I wanted to go into dentistry. I had to see patients when other people wanted me to see patients and I was exhausted and I was physically just tired every day that I came home. And then I had one child, two child, child, three children. And then I just, I lost it. I couldn't handle it anymore. And then I started to back away and I got really happy with like three days a week. Now I'm at two, two really long days. Instead of 24 hours over like three days, I do 24 hours over two days basically. And I like that because I was equally exhausted every single day that I would come out, whether I worked eight hours or 12 hours, I was equally exhausted. So this, 
I think less days for me was great, but it also has allowed me to really find what my passion in dentistry is, and that is teaching. And so I started my own um, online endo school, and that has been amazing. But if you had told me that I would have done this, like created an online business in addition to my dental practice, like if you told me that in 2003 when I graduated dental school, I would have been like, you're crazy. Like, yeah. So I am still kind of digesting the fact that I have this side hustle and it's going really well. And it actually is probably going to take the majority of my attention pretty soon. It's crazy. It's crazy. So there, it, it, it is very exciting that there is so many different things that you can do in dentistry. So. I don't think it's a side hustle anymore. I don't think you can call it that. So <laughs> it's, it's a living, breathing business. Like main act now. <laughs> yeah. It's, oh man, I'm so grateful. I really am. Um, so to chime in my my uh, perspective, it's it's a lot like Shivani's in the sense that um, came from a family. My dad uh, in dentistry. Actually, my uncle's a dentist as well. Um, interestingly enough, my dad did not want me to go into dentistry. He wanted to go into medicine, so he wanted me to go into medicine. Um, but in terms of the clinical side, I think I went in pretty eyes wide open. I loved when I assisted him as a kid, seeing the reception between kind of what you touched on, Amanda, um, helping people and seeing like people talk to him off the street and saying, oh, my gosh, you saved me that day, you know, when, when my kid broke his tooth or when I had an abscess over Christmas or whatnot. So that part, you know, I saw it as being, okay, I could really help people. Um, then, you know, what the parts I didn't see, the extraneous parts when you're a kid and you don't, you're not, you know, looking for, um, were for me, you know, the business, but um, the social part within the office, the interpersonal part that I, you know, wouldn't have seen. And honestly, I probably wouldn't have understood it and it wouldn't have applied as much to me anyway, because it was a male, female, and it was an old school style uh, that my dad ran. <clears throat> so when I joined the practice, I kind of, it was the same. And I, I saw it then uh, as, a, as a new dentist. Um, and, and then now, as I take over the practice in the running of things, um, I see more so um, the changing dynamics, you know, I, I brought on another associate, another female, and now that it's, it's all females, um, especially, I'm just very lucky to have this associate who's so helpful. Um, kind of like you're talking about the evolution of dentistry, having more females be the leads. It's just, it's really cool to see the shift and see more so there's not this shroud of mystery and people keeping things to themselves, there's a lot of collaboration. And that's honestly what I wanted because you can feel like, you know, you're, you're on your own with a lot of things. And, you know, Jess, you and I talk about this sometimes that you make a mistake and you think, oh my God, it's the end of the world. I mean, you can't make a mistake because if you made a mistake in dental school, you were the worst student ever. Um, and same thing in practice, right? You make mistakes and, you know, it is, you have to talk it out with somebody and who, who better to understand it than a colleague, um, you know, so that really, that kind of, is, has been very helpful to me is to, to have that dynamic in, in the workplace. And like you guys are saying, the, the kind of sphere of dentistry is, is shifting. And I think women are a big part of that. Um, we're natural caregivers. And so, but it weighs on us 
I think a lot too, because like Amanda said, again, you know, we, I, I'm the same. I take on, if a patient can't afford something, I'm, I'm going to find a way to do it for them. And most often I do it for free. Um, but that's not really a great business model. So, you know, that's the part that I really struggle with is, um, how to maintain the business, keep my employees happy, keep them, you know, paid, paid and, uh, and inspired, but then also to do the clinical dentistry day to day. Um, so, you know, for me, there's, there's kind of positive outlooks, but then it's the, it's the daily struggles that, that kind of, uh, I'm, I'm sure as a kid, I was not expecting walking into, uh, the, the dental world. <laughs> I, agree with all of you guys is because it's one of those things where even yesterday on social media I passed by someone's account and they were fixing the water line in their private practice because it was leaking and it's one of those things that you didn't realize that you would have to take on as being a potential practice owner especially if your service person can't get to you fast enough and you still need to keep going right so there's all these other dimensions that I don't think even if you sat down and had the conversation with individuals to be like, this is what I can prep you on, you wouldn't know to what extent how certain things may even bother you, right? And so yes, social media, yes, patience, yes, the water lines, right? But now it's like, it's, it's everything all at once. And so how do you kind of find that opportunity to now still look at it in a positive way but that doesn't drain you where all you can do is dentistry. And Sonia, I completely agree with you with the eight hours versus 12 hours. Never mind, I do two hours and I feel the exact same way if I've done eight hours. So it's like those half days I know are a challenge at times because then you're just like, okay, well, I've got to turn my thinking cap on. And so then it's like, okay, well, what do you balance with that half day if that's what you want to try? And so the opportunity of being able to figure out how does that schedule look for you? Where's time that you create for yourself, which is going to bring me then to my next question is how do you choose to set boundaries for yourself, whether it's in your personal life or your professional life? And how do you be okay with them without feeling guilty? I got this one. <laughs> All right. So one of the Again, this is Sonia, by the way. Okay. Um, so one of the things that I realized was like my energy when I was like in the practice, right? When I was a clinician and a manager at the same time, that's when I turned into the bitch. Cause I can't, my brain can't toggle back between those two. And so I, I've started to pay attention to how I feel, you know, whether it's how many patients a day can I handle, you know, and what is my body feeling? It's taken me a while to realize like that that's what I need to tune into to create my boundaries. But my first boundary was that like, I had to tell my team, like when I'm with a patient and I'm focusing on trying to find that MB2 and I'm like legit, like squeezing my butt cheeks, trying to find it. Cause I'm so nervous. <laughs> like, like, I like, don't come to my operatory and ask me to, you know, that might another patient's upset about their bill or whatever. Like, I can't put that fire out in that moment. 
that was like a huge aha for me. And that was the first instance where I realized I really had to pay attention to what my body's energy was telling me. And then um, that same kind of concept went into, you know, how long of a day can I work or how long, like how many patients can I see in this amount of time? Like, am I exhausted? How do I feel when I go home to my family? You know, even like right now I've been like traveling like crazy and I'm exhausted. So now I have to create a new boundary. Like how many times am I going to speak in a year? Like it is not every week for two months straight. I'll tell you that. Like, I can't do that anymore. Like I hit a wall. And so I'm always just listening to my body now. That's like my new indicator. It's uh, it's funny that you mentioned that because boundaries have so many things. It's boundaries with the staff. And then you just like you were talking um, boundaries within yourself. And I'll touch on both of those. When you were saying like, when you're in the middle of a clinical procedure and you're, you're laser focused, you know, you want your, your staff to kind of like understand that you're in that zone and it's like, okay, I don't want you to tell me that we're out of something, you know, like, which drives me nuts. And then, um, trying to, trying to kind of not show your anger and your frustration and you're like okay i don't want to blow my stack because i don't want to do this in front of the patient and i don't want to upset my assistant who i have like you know really good working relationship with but there have been times where i just i'm just like oh my god like you know like <laughs> you know how how could you not you know um that i've i've come to learn over time right that experiences show me like all right you know what no matter what at the end of the day i'm the responsible party so i have to set the tone in the operatory i have to be very very clear with what i want and how i want things done um and don't get me wrong i'm actually i'm actually fairly easy to assist i'm pretty easy going i have a tendency to grab things myself you know so uh, uh, yeah that's just that's just the way i was like kind of thrown into in my formative years, right? But, uh, you know, I, I do want things done a certain way. And as I've gotten older um, and I'm trying to be more efficient, um, I'm like, yeah, you know what? I, I kind of want things to run smoothly now, you know? Um, I, I kind of want things the way I, I, want, I want them to run. And I have to not be afraid to ask for them, right? And you, you do it in a respectful manner but it's like, well, this is what I can take and this is what I can't take, okay? And I can swallow a lot, but I can't swallow certain things. So in, is it a boundary? Kind of sort of like in my mind, like, you know, creating the space that, you know, I wanna run my show because I'm the responsible party, um, but at the same time, being respectful. That's a balance that I've had you know, I, I struggle with, right? Because you're dealing with another personality and you don't know what that other person is going through as well. And you kind of have to think about that, right? The other boundary that I had to kind of uh, work around. So I got very sick two years ago. Um, I actually had a stroke two years ago and um, I had to take some time off of work because um, it affected my arm. Uh, I had a stroke in my cerebellum as a result of a vertebral artery dissection. And um, I had some dystremia in my arm. I had to do some occupational therapy. 
And before I had the stroke, I mean, I was a seasoned practitioner, you know, almost 16 years out. I was pretty, pretty fast. I could, you know, see a patient every half, half an hour. And you also have to remember that, you know, the um, financial arrangement I have with my, uh, with the hygienist, I contract out, I pay a, a chair fee, right? So I have my hourly rate and anything that I bill over that hourly rate, uh, I get to keep, right? Obviously. So if I have a patient that doesn't show, I don't get charged. But if I have a, a patient that I spend a lot of time with and they're like, one, well, it's not a really productive appointment, I'm paying for that time, right? I'm paying for that time. So that always comes into my mind. So when you know I'm booking and when I'm like, all right, this is how I want my schedule to look. And my front desk were always amazing. They knew how to book me. Everything was running like clockwork. I was fast. I was like, yeah, I'm at the like top of my career. I can do this. And it was very successful. It was very lucrative for me. Then I got sick and um, it took me a really, really long time to get back to that point. And I'm like, okay, look, you know what? Um, I can't do those half hour appointments anymore. You know, I need that extra time. I need to start working part-time. Um, I might not be able to do those extractions anymore. I'm, I'm gonna start needing to refer some more things out. I'm gonna have to start saying no. You know, even if the patient's like, well, I can't afford to go to the specials. Like, dude, I'm sorry, I cannot, I can't do this. I'm not physically capable. I'm tired at the end of the day. I need more time per patient. And it was also a struggle because just when I got back to kind of sort of getting things back to normal, then we shut down again. For COVID. And then I had to, you know, take another three months off and then go back again. And then trying to figure out with fallow time and, you know, some uh, assistants that have not been as experienced, you know, asking for more time, saying, look, I'm not going to do this. I am going to do this. Look, I'm sorry, you can't squeeze that emergency in because I'm physically exhausted. I need a break. I need a longer lunch hour. Please don't, you know, book me like this. Um, it was for my, you know, my physical health and my emotional health. And now, you know, I'm, I'm feeling more back to my old self again, and I'm able to kind of like, like hustle a little bit more. And it just, it's just a question of like, well, you know, how much, how much money do I really need? You know, um, I don't have to kill myself. I'm, I'm, I've got a comfortable life. Um, I don't need to be gangbusters busy and you, you hear other uh, practitioners are like, I'm working out of two chairs and, you know, I'm, I'm doing all of this. And, and then, you know, I was questioning myself, I'm like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm definitely like not billing as much per hour as someone else. But then I really started thinking about it. I'm like, no, you know what? I'm happy. I'm finally in a good place. And that was my boundary for myself. And I'm like, I can't listen to what anybody says or whatever else they do. That's great for them, but I got to do what works for me. And I got to do what works for my health. And I, I'm so happy that I, I did that. I, I don't feel as much stress anymore. I, I'm actually like enjoying my work. You know, I don't, I don't feel pressure to produce. I know everybody talks about production and, you know, production per hour and, and what are you taking home and et, et cetera. And, you know, I, I don't, I don't pay attention to that anymore. Like you do, right. You know, you gotta, you gotta pay the bills, but it's like, well, how much more do I need to be happy? And, my boundaries have, you know, said, well, no, you, you don't need as much as you think you did, you know? I would love to piggyback off of what you said. First of all, thank you for sharing, um, being vulnerable and open about what you went through with, with your stroke. And I'm so glad you're 
healthy and happy and thriving the way that you are. I'm so glad you prioritize your wellness. Um, and I think one thing you said that stuck out to me is like the power of saying no. And I'll come at this from the new dentist perspective. So I had only practiced for three years. And I think that was the number one place I struggled with. I mean, first, when I, you know, my first few months of associateship, there would be many, many days I worked in corporate where if a patient walked in at 4.55 PM and needed a treatment, it was kind of expected that I was going to stay and do that. And no one would be happy. The patient would be frustrated because inevitably something would go wrong and you know, the, the crown wouldn't fire the way we wanted it to. And the point would be much longer and the assistant would not be in a great mood because they're working overtime and they didn't want to. I felt guilty. I felt under pressure. I wasn't doing my best work. I was tired. And so the, it was really hard for me to say no in those situations. But I think it took me probably like 10, 10 of those experiences where it just never went the way that you I wanted it to go, where I learned, okay, I, I got to say no to these things. I have to draw that like strong boundary line. Um, and I think this for new dentists, for me, especially is saying no to procedures that were over my head because there's a lot of fear of, I felt like there was a lot of pressure that I should be the super dentist. I should be able to do everything. I'm going to look stupid if I don't do everything. The patient's not going to think that I'm qualified. Um, you know, all of those thoughts are going through your head and I'm never going to do my best work when I'm, when I don't know what I'm doing or it's out of my scope of practice. And you have to put the patient first. It can't be about the ego. It has to be about patient care. And if someone else can do a better job, then that's what's important. And I think that was a big thing I learned from Sonia actually through her endo program was that like, I don't have to do every root canal. <laughs> I don't know why I put that pressure on myself. I'm like, I don't enjoy doing every single root canal. I do enjoy doing some of it. Um, and there's a time and a place and it's more of like the case selection that's important and being able to, to know what's within my realm, what's within my real wheelhouse and what do I need to refer or give to another doctor within the same office. Um, and then I made a little list here as you were talking because so many things came up from what you said for me. Um, setting better time boundaries in the office. I think like being really clear with my team about this is the amount of time I need for this type of procedure. Um, and if they give me less time, I'm going to be behind. And then that sets the rest of the day off. All the other patients are going to be behind. More people are going to be annoyed and upset. And it just kind of like sets the whole tone of the office off. So like being more clear about my time boundaries. And I think that took a lot of like looking within myself as well of saying like, I think this procedure takes me 30 minutes, but in reality, if I were to set a timer, it's taking me a lot longer. It's taking me 40 minutes or 45 minutes and that's okay. Like it's okay, it's taking me that long, but I need to know that or else everything else is gonna be off. And so being honest with myself and like setting that boundary and like timing myself, which felt really weird, but I needed to do it and communicating that with my team and then better communication with my assistants. I don't remember who I learned it from, but I feel like it was one of you women or someone within our community who taught me this was just like better communication with my assistants because they want to do the right thing. Like they want me to be efficient and they want me to be happy with what they're doing, but they're not going to be able to do that unless I'm communicating with them what it is I need. So I too was the dentist who would just like, it's easier for me to just grab what I needed versus communicating that. And um, one of my best friends who is also my assistant, I don't know which one came first, but he was the first person that was able to like really sit me down and talk to me and be like, hey, 
I, he, he had a real conversation with me, like, I want to do the best work for you. And I want to be like the best teammate with you. But like, I can't do that if you're not going to communicate with me and tell me what you need and we can both serve the patient in the best way. So that was another really hard conversation and something I learned with like setting boundaries. And I realized once I started saying no more, realizing like what my realistic time needs were and then being able to communicate with my team better, um, a lot of the stress that I was feeling as an associate, as a new dentist, didn't go completely go away, but it got much better. And then the last thing I'll say on this is with boundaries is like that transition from the office into home and like the rest of your day, like not taking work home with you. Um, as an associate, that's pretty easy. It's not like I have like business work to do, um, but oftentimes you're carrying like that stress of maybe a case didn't go the way you wanted, or you had a upset patient, or you had a patient in pain and you're kind of in the back of your mind and you wanna be checking in on them. There could be a multitude of reasons that you're still, your mind is still going. And if something didn't go great in my, um, during my day and I internalized it and I didn't talk about it, inevitably I would snap at my husband. I would, you know, something small would happen and I would start crying at home. Like, you know, those things started adding up and it puts a lot of strain on your personal relationships because I'm taking my stress from the office home with me and I'm not talk like I'm not addressing some of the stress that I felt and I couldn't find like a good way to release that like something to do between the office and getting home where I didn't want to like unload and tell my husband all of like the shitty things that happened to me during the day because that also then puts it all on him I wanted something I needed to find a practice in my life where I could kind of like let it go and that turns into sitting in my car for five minutes when I got home and just like either sitting in silence or doing a guided meditation, going on a walk with my dog or a hike with my dog. If it was like a really bad day, like running, pounding it out on the pavement, whatever it was. But like, I would, my advice to people listening, if you're a new dentist like me and you're struggling with that transition, like find a practice in your life where you can go to, to release it. Maybe it's journaling Maybe it's blasting music in your car, whatever it is, find that practice and be able to use that so you're not letting the stress from work like bleed into the other parts of your life. I know that was a lot kind of scattered <laughs> all over. It's all so good though. So good. Yeah, I was just about to say, you guys covered pretty much everything. Um, the only slant I would add um, would be, and I think this is just personal to me, is um, again, I go back to, um, employees. Um, so when I first started all, all female practice, I was the sounding board and, um, basically every grievance, every interpersonal fight, um, would all come back to me. And initially I just didn't know how to handle it. So I would internalize it. I'd come home, I'd stress over it. It'd be my weekend. Um, and I just didn't really know how to talk to them about it. Um, I certainly didn't know how to put up boundaries with it. Um, so eventually I got to the point, it was pretty much a burnout where I just, I sat them all down at a staff meeting and I said, um, I understand that we all have conflicts, you know, in, in the office, you know, they come and go, we're like a family, families fight. Um, but I said, you know, if you have an issue, you need to number one, come to me at the end of the day. Um, can't be midday. I have, you know, as I said, my focus and your focus is on the patient. So this needs to happen at the end of the day. I said, you also have to come to me with solutions to this problem because I am not 
yeah, I am too salute. I like that. <laughs> um, I'm I'm not the you know the fixer for everything. I said this this has to start with you. Um, that was huge, and and a lot of them really took that and respected it. Um, the other thing for me was after hours texts from employees. Like my main rule is. I don't text you after hours unless I absolutely have to, or I've given you forewarning, um, you know, emergency situations, that sort. And, and it, it was a big boundary for me to say, you know, unless it's something that can't wait until Monday, um, you know, we're, we're, we're closed, you know, this is, this is our time to, to relax and refresh and, and have our lives outside of work. So, you know, putting up that boundary was really big for me. And honestly, I think the employees really respect it because they want the same for themselves. So, um, yeah, uh, in addition to all the things you guys said, I totally agree with, but those would be major for me. Those were all just absolutely amazing because we touched on a little bit of everything because boundaries I find can be both physical um, where it's creating that conversation, but then it's also that psychological opponent Shivani, like you said, where at the end of the day, you're finding that boundary to create with yourself. So then you're not taking everything home. So I feel like there's both that psychological and that physical boundary. And it's true. We're never going to be stress-free. And so I think that that's a huge comment where you see these things like being promoted at times where you're like, oh, get stress-free or eliminate stress altogether. And we're never going to be stress-free. There's always going to be something, whether it's family-related, patient-related, work-related, or something that kind of just hits us the wrong way on a certain day. There's still going to be stressors that come up. So now it's looking at how do we create those boundaries and how do we acknowledge them, respect our own boundaries. So then we're also not getting walked over or bending our own boundaries, but then that gives us the energy to be able to then go back to doing the dentistry that we want. And a common theme that I started to notice that came up is, is that for a lot of us, we had to kind of wait almost as if we were at a breaking point, right? To be able to then make those boundaries or create or absolutely instill them. So why is it that we have to wait until we're breaking to then make that change? And that's a, I realize that's a really in-depth question <laughs> and you don't have to go into it too much if you don't want to, but why is that something that it's, we're given these opportunities to make these changes early on, but then we allow them to keep happening until we're at a point where we're just like, oh shit, I definitely need to make a change now. Well, I think for I mean, the large part for me is I think it's kind of human nature to to just adapt, 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 and then you know not, not adapt but just put up with it, put up with it, and and then all of a sudden your back's against the wall and you just you kind of feel like okay I can't continue this way. I mean you just you hit a you hit that breaking point, um, and it just you know that you almost change something in your brain changes but you haven't even identified the problem almost up until then you haven't even realized until it's a physical manifestation or a, you know a, an, another but usually it's it's eventually it starts to affect your physical well-being or if someone brings it to your attention um that can be another way in which you realize it but for sometimes it's it's so small and it builds in such a way that you don't necessarily it's, it's like you can't grasp that that's the problem until until you're at that point. I mean, 
gosh, I wish sometimes I could get there sooner. Um, but yeah, it's at least for me, I found sometimes I, I don't deal with it until, yeah, like you're saying, until it's that, that nth degree of, uh, of <laughs> challenge or, or I'm just out. Yeah. Um, I'd like to add something about like why we wait till that point. Um, I mean, I guess I'll speak for, for myself. Um, I think the financial sh like risk that I took, you know, going to dental school, I borrowed a lot of money. It's a lot of debt. You are constantly reminded of that. You know, every time you get that uh, statement in the mail, and also I have to pay this off in US dollars. So <laughs> that also um, has been quite challenging. And it's like, well, I've got, I've got to keep moving forward. You know, I don't have the luxury of phoning it in. I have a lot of people counting on me. I've always felt like that. I have a lot of people counting on me. Um, my husband is counting on me. My husband has his own, you know, uh, practice and all the woes and everything that have um, have come with it. And and I think, you know, I, I feel kind of, I guess a little guilty because it's like, I was the first person to speak and I felt I was negative compared to like the way everybody is like so, so Zen with everything. And I guess it's just a, a testament of, the last few months of what my husband and I have been experiencing the struggles that we've been experiencing with our staff. And, and, and I think also what Jess had talked about at our last session, practicing in Ontario is very, very difficult, right? Um, so you feel this need to keep going and so many people are counting on me and I'm like, okay, you know, I, I kind of have to soldier on like, you know, part of it is our personality because we're all very, uh, high achieving, very successful. And that drive is what got us to where we are, you know, um, that you all had that experience with people that you, you know, staff have said, well, you know, I have a little bit of a sniffle and I, you know, I can't come to work today. Cause I just, I just don't feel well. And, and it's like, no, no, I, you know, you, you, you have to, you have to come to work. Like if I'm not feeling well, I've got to, I've got to come to work right now. Of course, for, for myself, it's a little bit, a little bit different. Um, and my stroke actually happened at work, <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, um, it's changed my perspective, you know, like when you don't feel well, what's the point where you're like, Hey, you know what? I got to tap out, you know, something's wrong. Um, I know for myself, like even when I was in my recovery and, and, you know, I'm like, all right, I got to get up the, the minute that I could get up and walk. I'm like, I got to walk, right? I've got to move around. Um, even being my own advocate for getting into occupational therapy. Um, when they told me there was a wait list, I'm like, no, I need, I need to get back in there. I, I, my patients are counting on me. I had a locum covering for me, but, um, I need to get back in there. I have, my patients are counting on me. Um, Marcy, the woman I contract with, I know she wanted me back. My staff wanted me back. My husband needed the income. I have kids who want to go to university and go to you know professional school. Those are my driving forces, right? But then after something, that breaking point. Now my stroke was not because of my my job. Like it was just a fluke thing. Like I had nothing to to do with that. But that breaking point when something like that happens to you, um, you're like, all right, you know what? Um, I'm different now. Um, I have to do things differently. And you still have these people counting on you, but it's like, well, you know what? Maybe I don't have to do things 
the way I was doing them before and I could still be productive and I could still be successful, but I could still be kind to myself. And I think experiences kind of help with that. And I, and I think, you know, touching on, you know, Shivani, you're a new dentist and, and, you know, feeling like you have to take all of that on and, and, you know, you see like what your other classmates are doing and maybe they're doing more than, you know, than what I'm doing and why am I not doing these procedures and why am I not billing more, et cetera, et cetera. And this is what I try to communicate to my students at, at U of T that's like, you got to tune all of that out, you know, or else um, you're, you're not like, you're never going to be comfortable with the place that you're, that you're in. And um, sometimes you learn that by trial and error and, and, and you're able to reach that, you know, enlightenment on your own. And, and sometimes it takes like a, like a catastrophic health cri like a crisis to, to put you in that, you know, put you in that mind frame. For me, it was the latter. <laughs> For me, that's, that's what, uh, what kind of changed my, uh, my perspective, you know? No, I appreciate you clarifying that, Amanda, because I know I went in asking that, why do we wait until we're breaking? But it can be anything at that point. It could be a cancer diagnosis. It could be a family member who passes away. And for your case, sharing the stroke and your experience with it and coming back from it, I completely agree. And it comes up in different ways. So maybe it's not the mental health component, but now it's that physical component. So this happened to me, regardless if it was work or not, but how is this going to change my perception on how I choose to show up in dentistry now? I also want to backtrack. You said you started being negative too, but that's my first instinct with things at times. And one of the reasons why I don't practice clinical dentistry five, six days a week anymore, because <laughs> I was like, I'm done with it. It's not I like dentistry, but I can't work the way that I was working. And anyone who comes to me and says, hey, I want to become a dentist, it, I really have them explore other options before making <laughs> that decision now, because it, I completely agree. It is not what I signed up for. So I want to take it back to and ask you, ask the, the remaining individuals. So why is it that we have to wait until a catastrophic event or that we're at a breaking point to then make those changes for me it was time like i feel like i didn't even have time to process what i was going through and i find that time is such a such a thing that people don't respect like in their life as a dentist like I, you just don't give yourself time to dream right about what you want your life to be like like, it's just because there's so many things coming at you. And I just, I was just trying to stay afloat, right? I couldn't even, I just, I felt like I had no time. And so that's like the one thing that I really try to put those boundaries around is my time and be in, super intentional with my time and what I'm doing with my time. And then making sure I do have the time to dream so that I don't keep running back into this burnout like pool. Like it's so, so important. And it's something that when I talk to my colleagues and like, I ask them, well, like, what do you want out of your life? And like, no one can give me an answer. And I'm like, well, have you taken time to think about it? And the answer is no, you know? And so I, for me, it's, it's, it was time. And that was like learning how to handle time was my magic sauce magic sauce new word <laughs> <laughs>
magic sauce is tight. I love that. I love that. Um, okay, I'll take the question next as well. I love magic sauce. I need some of that. <laughs> um, so what, why do we wait until we hit a breaking point? Um, I think one thing that came to mind is gratitude and like this fear or shame or guilt that I feel for like feeling, being ungrateful for what I have. Like I have the privilege to be a, a doctor before my name or like I have the privilege to be helping patients. I've worked so hard. I have, I'm in a career where many people don't have this opportunity. Like I'm, I should be grateful for what I have versus complaining or, um, you know, wanting to like shake the rock, the boat. Um, and you know, that idea of like, why fix it if it ain't broke type thing? Like uh, I can deal with, you know, and this is bad that I did this, but at my last associateship, I knew that we would be moving abroad. My, the owners knew as well. And with the team, there were many things that had I known I was in it for the long haul, I probably would have changed. But because I knew it was there like a short period of time, I was like, I can just hold my tongue. I can get through the next six months. I can get through without causing any major drama because I'm not going to be dealing with this once I leave. So it's kind of this like combination of like shame or guilt that I don't want to seem ungrateful for what I have. Um, and then not wanting to like make other people feel uncomfortable, like causing uh, stress or upheaval when it might not be necessary and just kind of like taking it because making myself smaller in a situation, which is like totally opposite of who I am. If you know me, I'm like a loud and proud and in charge person. And so um, I think it happens subconsciously. Like, I don't think that that was a conscious deci decision where, where I'm choosing those things. It's always you know, 20 hindsight's always 2020. 20, so I can look back at those situations and I, I can say that's the reason. Um, and now that I've done the work and identifying that, hopefully going forward, it's easier for me to identify, but it's almost like that toxic positivity. Like we tell ourselves like everything's okay. We'll get through it. We're tough. We're resilient. Be grateful. All of those like good things that are important to, to be. But I think there's, you're, you're right. It's a tipping point. And sometimes there are things in life where it's better to be grateful than to complain. Um, and it's hard to identify which are those. Sometimes there's a fine line and sometimes it's hard to identify which side you're on and a tipping point or that breaking point helps you identify it. And I also think it really helps um, when you do get to that breaking point, the change that happens is much more concrete. Like it, the spark that happens in those moments and then what happens after really sticks because you have like a much stronger reason you have a much stronger motivation there um if you're trying to like start a morning routine and start waking like the 5 a.m club if you're trying to wake up at 5 a.m every day um be more productive and you tell yourself you want um it's not going to be as easy to form but if you have some event that happens in your life where you you know really you hit that breaking point of needing extra income so you want to start a side business or something like that you have some breaking point that you come up to where you want to be more productive in the mornings then when you try to wake up at 5 a.m every day that change is really going to stick because you have a bigger why you have a stronger why so that's my feedback on why do we wait till we hit a breaking point it's human nature yeah i love that it's it really shows because we each have different components 
that allow us to, Keely, you said you mentioned the word adapt, because that's what we do. We try to adapt to certain situations as they come up, thinking that, okay, we can definitely get our way through it. But then it does get to that point where we're just like, okay, well, clearly what's happening right now is not working. I'm unhappy. I'm stressed. I don't have energy. I don't want to be spending my magic sauce time <laughs> with those certain people in my life, right? So that's when we really start to figure out, okay, now that we have taken a look that dentistry doesn't have to be our entire life, right? So we're not trying to fit life into work. We're trying to fit work into our life, okay? I know from women in particular, they feel that they need to justify taking time off. So if I worked really hard, then I like Sonia right there. Sonia's like, no, I don't need to justify that. So I want, I'm gonna pro, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say the question to you. And we don't really have to go into too much about this, but do you have to justify taking time off? Or is it accurate to say, I want to take a vacation and I don't need to explain myself? I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> I love that. So I think, well, what one of my experiences was when I became a mom for the first time and my daughter had some issues and we had to have, she had to have three surgeries by the time she was four months old. And each time, um, each surgery, we were in the hospital for a week. And I had, my, my business was like two years old. I started to lose referrals because I wasn't available. I wasn't open anymore. And that was like, that was a huge wake up call for me. And that's when I realized, okay, like I really need to create a business where everything can't be dependent on me, you know, like I needed coverage, you know, and like, what if I do want to take a vacation? So I think I had the scarcity mentality in the beginning of my career that I wasn't allowed to take a vacation, but now like, my goal is to always take a month off every summer. So I made that commitment in 2019 when I lost my nanny and I had like zero childcare in the summer. I was like, how am I supposed to go to work? I'm like, okay, well, guess what? I'm just, that's it. We're going on vacation for a month. Like I, I have nothing else to do with these kids. And I'm just, that, that was my intention. So now it's what I live for, taking a month off, letting my business run itself for that month and taking my family away. And I, I don't have to apologize for that. Yeah, I, I don't think anyone should feel bad about vacations. And I think if you have children and you vacation, I think it's a wonderful way for them to learn because I want my children to learn from experiences and not just school. And the, what they learn on these like giant excursions is it's priceless, it really is. So I love it. So who else agrees? <laughs> Who else feels that guilt still? Ooh. Okay, so I'm I'm going through a weird transition right okay. now. I would say as an, well, okay, so I'll do the easy answer first. As an associate, I had no problem taking vacation. I mean, I, it's not like I had a salary and had paid time off. It was I just wasn't making production. And so I decided early on that I was going to take off every, while my husband was in residency, take off every break that he had and we would travel. And that was a huge priority. So probably once a month we took a trip. Um, and or once a quarter we took a bigger trip and we travel on the weekends. And I remember my owner doc 
and hit him and his wife would sometimes passively say comments, not passively, or like kind of slide them in there. Like, wow, you really travel a lot. Or, oh, you're going to be out of town again that Friday. You really always take you know, comments like that. And it was an active process as a practice of being like, okay, I deserve this. I'm not taking money from them to, to take this time off. I'm not doing anything like that. I deserve this time as part of my contract. I can take time off when I want and just honoring it and doing it. And I loved it. I think I showed up as a better dentist um, when I took that time for myself. And Sonia, you're right. When I, I feel like for children, it's so important to travel and see the world. I remember growing up being able to, to go on, um, to go traveling and go on vacations with my family. And that really shaped who I am. And so I hope to continue to do that for my family when that, when that happens. So I think I mentioned it in the first episode, my husband and I moved to Japan for his career. So I never thought about like what my life would look like if I took a break from work, either planned or unplanned. Like I, I just never like imagined what my life would look like without having some sort of work, whether it was dentistry or some other type of work that I was doing and without structure. And it's, it's really strange. So I'm in the struggle right now. I don't have advice on it yet. I'm currently going through it and I thought I'd share that. And I don't think a lot of people talk about that. Like I've never heard any other women really talk about like what it was like if you have your spouse in a, either, either the same profession or a different profession, but you have to make a sacrifice. Like I, I, I've never really had that conversation with anyone before. So I guess I'm just opening the door to that um, for people who wanted to talk about taking time off that are kind of forced to take time off. <laughs> I'll leave it at that if anyone else wants to share. I think those five books are going to come really in handy within the library. <laughs> You're going to get True, them yes. all read. My library <laughs> card. to read anymore. I have, a feeling, I have a feeling Shivani just may write a book in oh. while she's there. <laughs> That's what I see coming. Yeah, no, I like it. <laughs> um, I Mine won't be long because, uh, you know, in terms of, uh, I have a really good role model. My father took lots of trips. Um, he, he kind of set the precedent. I got to travel with him a lot as a kid. I really, he realized the importance. He instilled that in me. Um, am I still guilty about it sometimes? Absolutely. Because as you say, people make passing comments and you internalize them and you think, oh, is that, uh, directed me or, you know, should I be doing more? But I think if you tell yourself constantly, I'm growing just in different ways. Um, actually, I'm reading a really good book right now called Range, and it is about cultivating more general knowledge as opposed to just specific knowledge. Um, and that's never kind of hit me more than right now where it's like, you know, we're all really into these very narrow fields sometimes. Um, and we don't look outside of, of that often. But when we do, we often come up with solutions that are even better, like even more abstract and, and just give us a new way to think. And I think traveling just just opens that up for a lot of people. So um, love to travel, would do it more, will do it more in the future. <laughs> yeah, I'm, a, I'm actually the opposite. I'm not, I'm more of a homebody. I I, uh, I mean, I, I traveled a little bit when I was in, um, when I was in high school, I went to Europe. Um, my husband grew up um, in a very like traditional Italian home and um, they never, they never traveled, right? It was like every, every penny went towards putting, putting him towards school, right? And so that's kind of the, like the mentality that we have now. Um, aside from the fact that like now, you know, 
we have the money to do it, but we don't want to go because it's it's really it really seems like such an inconvenience. When we were younger, um, you know, we had a, a you know a new baby, right? So that time in our marriage where we would have you know traveled and done all those things, you know, well, we had this we had a child and we were new graduates. Um, we wanted a house, you know, we saved money for a house, then you get the house and it's like, well, you know, you want to try to pay down the debt as much as possible. I was still servicing my student loan again with this crazy exchange rate. So for, for us, it was really not much of a priority. Um, I think though, finding ways to like enjoy your, your hometown is great. And a lot of the traveling that I did do because my family uh, is in New York City, or, um, or in Michigan, my mom lives in Michigan. So a lot of the vacation time that I took was to visit them, right? And um, as now my kids have gotten older, we don't visit as much because like the older the kids get, the less time they can really take off from school. And they have their other, you know, they have their friends, they have their, you know, activities, they have their things that they want to do. Um, God forbid I pull my my daughter away from like you know her AP physics class like she'll just I can't miss like a day right you know I you know let alone taking time off you know we just kind of like to do things together as a family and then I really really enjoy my home time I love I love my house I I love hanging out with my dog she's actually right next to me you know big fluffy marshmallow behind me here um uh, I just really enjoy um, my you know my new hometown it's I don't know maybe with the pandemic I just I don't feel this desire to go anywhere anymore because traveling is such a hassle and it's not enjoyable uh, to me anymore I'm actually driving uh, in two weeks I'm gonna go visit my dad I haven't been to the States since literally the week before COVID I was in New York for a wedding right and I haven't been down there since since then, right? So I'm, um, you know, I'm, I'm taking this trip. I got to take time off of work. I never feel guilty about it. Uh, no, I'm like, no, I gotta, I gotta do what I gotta do, right? And I go out of my way to, you know, make our patients comfortable. I'll stay late if I have to. I will, you know, fill in if somebody needs me to. Um, I, I'm pretty. It's pretty rare that I'll say no if somebody asks for a favor. If they ask nicely, of course. Um, but I don't feel guilty about, about taking time off. I'm like, no. And I don't take it all that often because I don't feel the, the need to do so. It doesn't have to be the picture perfect social media vacation or day that you take off. And when I started this conversation, you guys all put me to shame when I said women feel guilty. I don't know who I'm talking to then at that point, right? But then that's where we don't need to feel guilty. So regardless of where you are in your career, if you feel like you need to look at your schedule and take an extra hour on certain days for your lunch to give you back the, that time so you don't feel burnt out. Or Amanda, like you said about taking that day sometime during the week. And Sonia, looking ahead, I know you booked your vacation starting in November, right? So you're just like, yes, I'm looking forward to that vacation. I'm but doing that tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> So that's what I appreciate the most about this is that just like there's more than one way to do dentistry, there is more than one way to schedule your time to see what works for you. And it doesn't have to look the same like someone else. So okay. that is what I appreciate so much. Now, we touched on this slightly, but I only want a yes or no answer from you guys. And we're going to wrap up part two for today. And this will then lead into part three. 
Is there a good time to have kids? Nope. Never a good can, time. Can I just chuckle? <laughs> you're, speak, you're speaking to the wrong person. <laughs> the answer is a hell no. Okay. Okay. No. Okay. So I love that. Thank you so much again, ladies. And we will finish up part two. I appreciate all of the honesty and the vulnerability that comes with these conversations. And to the listeners, I hope you take some pointers away that you can choose what you want to do within dentistry and your personal life in order to create the boundaries and create that space and time that works for you. So until next time, we'll see you back in part three, where we're going to get into more about being a woman in this profession. And gonna be asking questions like, can you show emotion? Do you have to be a bitch? And where would we like to see women in this profession moving forward? Okay, we'll see you next time. Awesome, thank you, Jess. Thank you. This conversation keeps getting better and better on the dark side of dentistry. The vulnerability is incredible as the questions keep getting more challenging. What if you were to ask yourself the same questions? What are your thoughts around these topics and what restrictions have you placed on yourself based on what you thought others would think of you? It's really time to ask yourself what you truly want out of life and out of dentistry. Continue to challenge yourself and I will be here to nudge and support you as you move out of your comfort zone. It's really time to think differently and change your narrative. Stay awesome.